always love to preach after that song. That is a great song, and you sang so well this morning. I really uh, appreciate it. And as a church, we believe that the very center part of all worship is the Word of God. The explaining, unfolding of the Word of God, and it is through the Word of God that we exalt the greatness of our God. And with that in mind, uh, the passage that we will be looking at is the same passage we looked at last week, and that is Second Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Last week we looked at the first seven verses. This week we will look at verses 8 through 11 in part two of this two-part message. So if you will turn there, I just want you to hold your place there just for a moment. Uh, I want to mention, as I did last week, um, as I shared with you last Sunday morning at the beginning of the message, we had in the bulletin, have again this week, a, a very important announcement that the pastoral search committee is recommending that Pastor Chad is the best person, we believe, before God uh, to fill the position, the open position of associate pastor of discipleship. And... Um, I can say on behalf of the pastoral search committee especially, and also of our other leaders, um, that we have put a lot of prayer of seeking the Lord and waiting upon him for this whole process. We really have. It is so easy, and I know this and you know this, it is so easy to give lip service to prayer. And we're going to be talking, I'm going to be sharing about that even in this message this morning. But I can say honestly before you that we have really sought to come before the Lord and to wait upon him. Now, last Sunday morning on the 15th, I spent about five to seven minutes explaining how this entire process and decision fits into our leadership structure. I don't have time to go over all of that again this morning, but it is on our website. So if you go to the message, the Sunday morning message for September 15th, um, the first five to seven minutes or so, I talk a little bit about the Cora work team um, and, and them coming back in their presentation, but then I explain that. And so if you weren't here last week or if you're working in some ministry and didn't get to hear that, I would really strongly encourage you uh, to read that uh, or, excuse me, to listen to that. And I would also encourage you to read carefully through the announcement that is in your bulletin about that this morning. Also, I want to mention to you that since last Sunday, the number one, by far, the number one question that we've been asked is, so if all of this goes through, uh, if all of this is favorable, are we going to begin then to look for a youth pastor, and the simple answer to that question is yes. Yeah, we want to allow this process to go fully through before the Lord, to have the congregational vote. Um, we're anticipating God's work here, but after that, if the vote is favorable, we are going to begin immediately to evaluate the youth pastor job description just as we did the associate pastor of discipleship job description and then we will begin to have another search committee search for a youth pastor um, and I just want to say this to you uh, we're excited we're excited about what God is doing 
and what God is going to keep doing. So we really sense his hand upon all of this and um, are excited to bring this before you and to work through this with you. And that's why we have um, a church where the congregation makes decisions, where the congregation is involved in the decisions um, that we make. So having said that, uh, I want to get into the message this morning. And as I mentioned, we looked at part one last week, verses one through seven. This week we're looking at uh, verses eight through 11, two parts of a three-part series. So part one and part two of this, and it's basically one message divided into two parts, where how God uses our trials. I've entitled this, The Comfort of God and the Glory of God. And that's what we're looking at. And then next week... Next week, I'm going to just, it's going to be a standalone message, but it is going to be built upon these two messages. So it's important that you get these two messages for what I am going to share with you next Sunday morning. And then after that, we'll go into October into local evangelism month. So realizing that some of you weren't here last week, our first point is simply a review of part one. Let me just share with you what I shared last week. I said to you that Christians are not exempt from the hardships, trials, and persecutions of this earthly life. And that's going to play an important part in what I share with you next week. We suffer the same things many times that unbelievers do. And many Christians around the world have and continue to suffer severely for their faith. And sometimes we ask why. Why does God allow this to happen? Or why me? And as I shared with you, we don't always know why. We don't always know why. We ultimately have to cast ourselves into the hands of a sovereign God. The goal is not to always understand why. The goal is to place our trust in the character and person of God. That is one of the most important lessons you will ever learn in your Christian life. Our goal is not to understand everything or to be able to answer why. Our goal is to place all of our trust in the character and person of God himself. So how we react to our trials and hardships will determine whether they are used by God for our comfort and his glory. How we react to our trials, our sufferings, our hardships is so important. As I shared with you that little kind of saying that I had read and then shared with you, when trials come, when hardships come, be a student, not a victim. A victim says, why me? Why is this happening to me? A student says, I want to learn everything I can through this. A victim says, God is punishing me. I must have done something wrong that this is happening. A student says, I know that God is going to use this for my growth. I know this is happening in my life so that he can grow me spiritually. A victim says, God has abandoned me. He must not love me. But a student says, I know that God uses everything. 
Even the things I don't understand. I know that God uses everything, even the things I don't understand for my good and for his glory. God does work everything together for good to those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. We must, we must have an unwavering belief in the sovereignty and goodness of God. If we don't, folks, we're going to fall apart. We're just going to fall apart. So I shared with you last week two reasons why or how God uses trials in our lives. The first way God uses trials is to draw us closer to himself. There is a divine purpose at work in your life and that divine purpose begins with God himself. He wants intimate fellowship with you. He has saved you. He has redeemed you. He has made you his own. And he wants you to walk with him every day. I love Jeremy. Jeremy's prayer this morning. I just thought it was so appropriate. I just really sensed the Holy Spirit working through Jeremy this morning as, as he led us in prayer. And in verse 3 of Second Corinthians uh, Chapter 1, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. That is who we pray to. The Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He is not some aloof, distant, uncaring, unconcerned God. He is always the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. First part of verse 4 says, Who comforts us in all our afflictions. In all our afflictions, not some of them, not part of them, but in all of them. And during our times of hardship and suffering, God's compassion overflows into our lives. And so the second way God uses trials is to equip us to minister to others. He is comforting us so that we can comfort others. In verse 4, it says such a, an important verse, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Oftentimes the best counselors are those who have struggled with the same pain, the same struggle that you are going through. So many times I have shared with people, I can offer you pastoral counseling. I can seek to be a good listener. But I would really encourage you to talk with another Christian who has gone through what you're going through, that marital struggle, that cancer, that financial hardship, whatever it may be, because they've walked in your shoes. They've been where... You are, and God wants to use you. Oh, I emphasize, God wants to use you in that way in other people's lives. God wants us to minister to others, to minister in the name of Jesus to hurting people. And in the body of Christ, of which we are all a part if we know him as Savior, we never suffer alone. God never meant for us to suffer alone. We encourage one another. We comfort one another. And what I tell people is when they go through those trials and God helps them, God rescues them, God delivers them, I say, remember, there is someone. There, I'll guarantee it. There is someone who's going to need your counsel, your wisdom, and your experience. They are going to need someone to identify with. So be alert 
Others are going to go what you have gone through. So, the first reason God allows trials is to draw us close to him. A second reason God allows trials is so that he can comfort us and then we can comfort others. That brings us to the second part of this uh, message in verses 8 through 11. And our second point and the third reason is that trials empty us of all self-reliance. Trials empty us of all self-reliance. Paul wanted the Corinthian believers to understand just how severe his suffering was. So what's happening in this particular passage is Paul goes from talking generally about suffering and affliction and comfort to talking very specifically. So from the general to the specific on Severe suffering that he and his companions have been going through. In verses 8 through 10, he says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. Now we don't know the exact nature of the hardships that Paul suffered in Asia. It may have involved his being beaten, it may have involved his imprisonment. But it must have been known to the Corinthians because he doesn't provide any details. So they are talking about something that they are already, or he is sharing something that they are already at least generally aware of. And evidently it happened recently because he felt he could just say it and they would know what he had been through. But I want you this morning to sense the severity of his affliction of his trial, of his suffering. Again, in verse 8, in the first part of verse 9, for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. That phrase, utterly burdened, for we were so utterly burdened, that means crushed beyond human strength. It means to be so crushed by your suffering, by your trial, that humanly speaking, you're exhausted. Just feel like you can't, just can't go on. You have nothing left. And I know you've been there. A trial so great that you have no human strength left. He said, we despaired of life itself. The word despair literally means no passage, no way out, no exit. I'm exhausted. Can't go on. And I don't see any, humanly speaking, I don't know any way out. There's no way out. And he said, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. 
Paul believes they were going to die. They thought at this point they were going to die for the sake of the gospel. This was it. This was their time. But the key to this whole passage is the last sentence of verse 9. Don't miss it. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. What a powerful statement. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. We were totally exhausted. We had no human strength left. We saw no way out. We thought we were going to die. But you know why that happened? That was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God. Here's the thought. Either God saves them and spares them or they die. Because they had nothing left to give. They had no way out. They were completely out of human options. They had nowhere to turn. And when we come to those points in our life, it is a time when you cry out to God in desperation, knowing that if God doesn't come through for you, you're sunk. You can't do it. That's where he was at. That either God comes through or I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to make it. But that was. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves but on God who raises the dead. We think of 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Excuse me, second, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Many of you know it well. Paul says, there was given me a thorn in the flesh. A messenger from Satan sent to harass me. Talk about your spiritual warfare. There was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger from Satan sent to harass me. He said, I pleaded with God three times to take it away. That word pleaded means he begged God. He wept before God and he said, I want you to take it away from me. Second Corinthians 12, chapter 12, verse 9. But he, God, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Same thought. God says, my power is made perfect in your weakness. Never forget that or you will not understand what you go through. My power is made perfect in your weakness. So let us gladly Boast about our weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on us. And again, notice, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God. To rely completely on God. And notice that last little phrase, who raises the dead. That's not just incidental. I'm casting myself in the one who has all power over life and death. I'm casting myself on the power of him who can raise the death, the dead, the almighty, powerful God of heaven and earth. And then he says in verse 10, he delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. 
Paul is saying this, until it's my time, until it's my time to die, until it's my time where the Lord is going to take me home, he will deliver us. Somehow, some way, as I rely on him, he will deliver us and he will deliver us again. So, a third reason that God uses trials, or a third way that God uses trials in our lives is to cause us not to rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Well, the fourth way God uses trials is our third point this morning, and that is trials reveal the true power of prayer. Trials reveal the true power of prayer. Paul tells the Corinthian believers that their prayers will help him through his trials. I love verse 11. This is one of those verses you just need to take with you wherever you go. Paul says, you also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. You must also help us by prayer. Your prayers are going to help us in the midst of our trials and suffering. You see, Paul understood, as James did, that the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And Paul viewed the prayers of God's people as crucial, as critical to his ministry. And I really want you to grab a hold of that. He believed that he was able to minister. He was able to endure. He was able to persevere because of the prayers of God's people. They were literally helping him through. This is not new with Paul. Romans 15.30. Paul writes, I urge you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit. Now watch this. To join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. I want you to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. He doesn't say, I want you to join me in my struggle by sending me food. He doesn't say, I want you to join me in my struggle by getting a hold of the government officials and telling them what's happening to me. Nothing wrong with those things. That's not what he says. He says, I want you to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Philippians 1.19 For I know, again, the Apostle Paul, for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Through your prayers... Through your prayers, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Think back two weeks ago, September 8th, we shared communion together. I ended my study in the book of Ephesians and the armor of God in chapter 6. And remember Paul is praying at all times. And then he says this, in Ephesians 6, 19, he says, pray for me. Pray also for me. That whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me. 
so that I will boldly make known the mystery of the gospel. Pray that I will speak boldly as I should. Pray that words will be given to me and I will boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel. And I shared with you at that time, our prayers for each other are used by God to give us boldness. Prayers can give another person boldness in proclaiming the gospel. Let us be reminded this morning in prayer, human weakness casts itself at the feet of divine power. In prayer we say, God, I can't do this, but you can. I cast myself into your care. I need you. I need your power. And when God's people pray for each other, God's power and sovereign purposes are realized. The purpose of prayer is not to manipulate God, but to exalt his power and submit to his will. We're not trying to manipulate him. We're recognizing his power. And we're submitting to that power. And we're submitting to his will and saying, God, work your work through us. Glorify yourself through us. You may have heard this before. It's an older saying, but I want to share it with you again. Through prayer, we unleash the power of heaven for the problems we face on earth. Through prayer, we unleash the power of heaven for the problems we face on earth. But in this context, what I especially want you to see is that knowing that others are praying for us gives us the strength to keep going. Knowing that others are praying for us gives us the strength to keep going. I want to share something with you this morning that has made a huge difference in my life and I hope continues to make a huge difference in my life. It's just understanding this simple thought. God has ordained that prayer matters. God has so ordained in the whole working of the universe that our prayers matter. Our prayers make a difference. As John Piper famously has said, in prayer, God causes things to happen that would not happen If we did not pray. Boy, if that doesn't convict you, I don't know what will. God causes things to happen through prayer that would not happen. And will not happen if we don't pray. God has ordained the universe. Or he has so ordained the universe that our prayers make a difference. Don't get caught in this trap. Here's a trap that we get caught in sometimes, very sincerely. Someone's suffering, someone's hurting. And we say, well, I'm not going to pray. I'm going to do something. I'm going to go visit them. I'm going to take them a meal. I'm going to babysit for their children. I'm going to drive them to their doctor's appointment. And don't misunderstand me. Those are beautiful things. Those are God-obedient 
wonderful things. But don't ever think that prayer is not doing something. Prayer, folks, prayer is the most important thing you can do for someone else. Prayer is the most important thing you can do for someone else. Do those other things, absolutely. But you have no clue. I have no clue how much our prayers make a difference and how you can pray for someone and actually cause things to happen in their lives. In the secular, unsaved world right now, it is very popular to say, I don't need your thoughts and prayers. I need your actions. I need you to do something. And when you hear that, I don't need your thoughts and prayers. I'll guarantee you they have no clue. No clue what the power of prayer is. They have absolutely no idea how powerful prayer can be. And I wonder sometimes, even as Christians, if we do not realize how powerful that prayer is. I don't always understand how it works. I may not always feel like it works, but it does. Based on the authority of Scripture, it works And it makes a difference, folks, whether we pray or don't pray. It makes a difference. And I believe that there are things that happen in your life on a regular basis that you don't even know about that happened because someone was praying for you and you didn't even know it. And maybe we won't even fully realize this until we get to heaven. We will never know, maybe until we get to heaven, how many times the prayers of others rescued us. We would have fallen. We would have fallen, but someone prayed for us. We would have given up, but someone prayed for us. We would have made a foolish decision, but someone was praying for us. We would have given in to a temptation, but unbeknownst to us, someone was praying for us. We would have crumbled under pressure. But someone who loved us was praying for us. So God uses our trials to reveal to us the power of prayer. Well, let me try to bring last week and this week together. We need to pray that God will give us compassionate eyes, missionary eyes in the sense of those who are right around us. We need to see that there are hurting people all around us who need our comfort and who need our prayers. God uses our trials to draw us closer to the Lord. God uses our trials to give us and bring us comfort so that we can comfort others. God uses our trials so that we will totally rely on God and not ourselves. God uses our trials to unleash to unleash and to reveal to us the power of prayer. In just a few minutes, we're going to close with that song, Keith and Kristen Getty's song, He Will Hold Me Fast.
He will hold me fast. Remember, when you go through those times of trial and suffering and hardship, you may feel like you're not going to make it. You may say to yourself, I can't hold on. I can't hold on. It's okay. Because he's holding you. Always. He's holding you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the preciousness of your word that we can cast ourselves into the hands of a sovereign, caring, good, powerful God and know that you will always do what is best for us. You will always do what brings you the greatest glory. And we thank you for that. And Lord, I want to thank you especially this morning that our prayers make a difference. What a privilege. What an honor. Oh God, oh God, help us to be a praying people. For we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.